work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, Collected Works of Thomas Goodwin, Volume 6, of the difference of the work of the Holy Spirit upon a temporary believer, and upon those truly called, and that they differ in their nature and kind. Chapter 1, that the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, 2 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21, makes a clear distinction between a temporary professor and those truly called, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, in which are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Heaven escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Second Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Second Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. I have set these two passages of the same epistle together, and by comparing the one with the other you may easily discern that Peter would seem to speak somewhat like, yet clear differing things of two several sorts of professors, and two several works in those professions of religion. In the second chapter he speaks of such who profess religion, and had at one time a work upon their hearts, which caused them at first so to do, and to break forth from the world, verse 18, and that they really had escaped from them who live in error, or the common error of a natural condition, common to you, with other men, but now were fallen away, and their latter end was worse with them than the beginning, verses 20 to 22. But in the first chapter, verse 1, he speaks of, and to such who had obtained like precious faith with us, namely, the apostles of Christ. In each of these he seems to speak like things, and yet, how distant are they in the reality? 1. Of both the one and the other, he says, did they escape the defilements of the world? Second Peter 1 verse 3, Second Peter 2 verse 20. And number 2. He tells us that both of them were wrought upon and induced to this by one and the same means, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Compare verse 3 of chapter 1 and verse 20 of chapter 2. Insomuch as both are enlightened with such a knowledge of Christ as has a powerful impression upon their hearts. As it is said of these in Second Peter 2 verse 18, that thus fall away, that they did really and indeed and in earnest forsake those sins for a time. Yet, how different is the state of these persons, the sum of which difference is reduced to this, that those of whom he speaks in the first chapter that were savingly wrought upon had such a knowledge of Christ as had thoroughly altered and changed the frame in their hearts, their very natures and dispositions, turning and transforming them from sin to a divine nature.
It had prevailed to sever and part their souls from the power of inward lusts, as well as outward gross defilements, that corruption that consists in lust or inward concupiscence. The prevailing knowledge of Christ had destroyed and rent the indentures that had been between the soul and these corruptions. For the word escaping speaks and has reference to freedom from the tyranny of a hard master. For as it is in verse 19 of chapter 2, of being servants, of corruption, and these sincere believers, the divine power had cut to very hard strings, ligaments, and ties between their souls and their lusts so far that their inward man had really parted with and was delivered from the strength and violence of lusts. But of those others, chapter 2, it is barely said that they had escaped the grosser defilements of the world. Verse 20, that pollute men outwardly, in respect of which it is that they are said to have escaped from those that live in air. Verse 18, he mentions nothing to express that this work had reached to the destroying of lusts or alteration of their sinful natures, but their case was as that of a runaway serpent. They had made an escape from their masters, but the inward bonds and indentures were not cancelled, and so they were fetched back again, verse 19. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage, which he affirms more plainly, verse 22, comparing them to a soul that was washed which imports an external cleansing only from the mire they wallowed in which cleaves to the outward parts but to escape the corruption that consists in lusts to have the sinful nature the inward radical constitution changed this they lacked the old man or nature of man as it comes into the world is said in Ephesians 4 verse 22 like to what is here, to be corrupt in lusts, that is a formal being and essence of its corruption, as it is corrupt is said to consist in lust, and therefore to have escaped. Through the knowledge of Christ, the corruption that is in lust is to put off the old nature, to have the inward disposition altered, which there also the apostle affirms is done by such a knowledge of Christ as has a difference in it from what is in ordinary professors. Verse 21. If so be you have heard him, and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, it imports a distinction from what is counterfeit. Therefore, Galatians 5 verse 24. Those that are Christ's, are said to have crucified the lust with the affections. Number two. Here's another difference, namely, the participation of a contrary divine nature. This divine nature clearly shows a change of nature, and so their heaven escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, Second Peter 1 verse 14, is the putting off of the old nature which is corrupt in lusts, and on the other side, for as much that such a chain from a state of natural corruption is specified with this divine nature as its opposite, it is evident 
that this participation of the divine nature is to be understood of the contrary divine qualities and principles, but now made natural to the soul. Its lusts once were, but it is not the participation of the essence of God substantially, as some both of old and of late have offered to affirm. My assertion is yet more clear, inasmuch as the apostle also calls the communication of this new nature the giving of all things belonging to life and godliness, that is, all inward principles, seeds, powers, and abilities of godliness in a spiritual life, and those as the roots and habits of all actions made natural. Now, look, as there is a different mercy or grace in God, out of which he bestoweth those gifts he vouchsafes unto men, whom in the end he does not save. Different, far from the mercy out of which he gives that grace and holiness which has salvation accompanying it. So the like difference is to be found in the exertings of the degrees of his power, out of which he works, either. His mercies that are over all of his works are styled common mercies, whereas to his elect, there are peculiar special mercies called the sure mercies of David. Answerably, the works on temporaries flow, but from his common providential mercies, only further heightened towards such and to others of mankind. These being choicer mercies in themselves and riches, honors, and so on, and are therefore styled common graces, as being in their general valuation cast but into the same heap with other common mercies. But they are rather called common graces because they bear the semblance and counterfeit of true and saving graces. It is therefore a subject worth the prosecution to show the disproportion of power which is seen in these two works, that the measure of the one may be mutually taken from each other. For the one, by the kind of it, will be found to be such a work as needs not the exceeding greatness of God's power to be put forth to work it. And the other, namely, the divine nature, is a work of that excellency as requires the utmost of God's power to be stretched forth in the working of it, or it will not be effected. The usefulness of this doctrine concerning temporary believers to many holy ends and purposes. The apostle further in this, Hebrews 6, sets forth the high and great workings which are in the hearts of temporary believers. Did fall away in a dreadful event and issue of their soul falling. Verse 8. And as there were in those times the highest effusions of the Spirit and graces wrought in many true Christians, in comparison of other times, so there were answerably the highest sort of temporaries, which verses 4 and 5 speak of, and indeed the most sublimated that corrupt nature was capable of. He adventures this doctrine among them, True believers that were weak and doubtful, and notwithstanding there might be very many souls entangled in fears, that they were of that number, yet this doctrine is good and profitable to men, as the apostle speaks in another case. Observation The doctrine and knowledge that there is only a temporary work in many professors is useful to sincere Christians for many holy ends. Peter declares it 
to those he wrote to. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 and 22. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Jude also, upon occasion of man that had once professed the doctrine of grace, verse 4, turned it unto wantonness. He does alike at verse 5. I will put you in remembrance. Though you once knew this, how did the Lord heaven save the people out of the land of Egypt? Afterward, destroy them that did not believe. The meaning of this is, he would have them consider that the Israelites coming out of Egypt was a type of our common salvation, as he called it in verse 3. Yea, many of them came forth through a work of God upon them, for they believed. Exodus 4, verse 31. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, and they bowed their heads and worshipped, they had been in great distress. And man's nature is apt to believe and embrace news of deliverance in such a case, which was a great ground of that faith and many of them. But, however, this, together with the sense of their bondage, moved them to come out of Egypt. They read of the like faith upon the great visible deliverance at the Red Sea, Exodus 14, verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. But, Jude says, I would have you, with all remember, to though their faith served to bring them out of Egypt, yet it was but a temporary faith, such as did not last nor served to bear the condition of a wilderness, their faith failed them, as to perseverance, cheerfully, to go on into the good land. They would, if they could, have returned back into Egypt. And you know the sins they fell into. And concerning them, Jude adds, to God afterwards destroy them that did not believe. And this he says, so you know, yet... I would have you remember and lay it to heart, is that which was God's aim and intent in this dispensation, in relation to those their times, and the professors of it. It is of special use to you all, for this is a case of multitudes of professors that come out of a gross, sinful condition. They see their former estate to be a state of bondage and damnation, which is as a coming out of Egypt, but their own lusts in their progress and the wilderness of this life ruined them. And what befell the Israelites as types is for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 Now all these things happen to them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And Jude tells them, that when he had set himself to write of our 
common salvation, verse 3. The Holy Ghost, who dictated this epistle, presented this caution and discourse about such temporary professors first to him to present to them. Delight to this also, does the apostle in his epistle to the Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and 1 Corinthians 9.24, to the end of the chapter, Know you not, the day which run in a race run all, but one receives a prize. So run, that you may obtain, and every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He indeed in that chapter presents this under another scene, and similitudes of the Olympic Games, in which many run, but one obtains, and so in Christianity, many beat the air, and run, but uncertainly. And how much our Savior insisted on this doctrine, you all know. How many parables did he spend upon it, that parable of parables, as himself indicates it to be, do you not understand to be, of all other, of the most concern to you and others? I mean that of the sower, and the several grounds, and the parable likewise of those that built their house on the sand, when others built upon a rock. Moreover, many speeches are scattered up and down to this effect, and many are called, but few are chosen. Enter in at the straight gate, for many will seek to enter in, and shall not be able, Luke 13, verse 24. The usefulness of this doctrine is first, to awaken dull professors, as our apostle terms those Hebrews, Hebrews 5, verse 11, to consider their state, the wise virgins sleep, Matthew 25, verse 4, as well as the foolish, and the noise of this doctrine rouses up such sooner than any other. Number two, this doctrine is useful to quicken them to holiness and to endeavor to make sure work. Thus, it wrought with Paul himself, and Paul makes use of it to quicken others. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He had this in his eye to the last, after he had done all. Verse 23, And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you, the like use he makes of to all. In Second Timothy 2 verse 19, Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel to honor, sanctified, and fit, for the master's use, and prepared to every good work. 
It was upon the occasion of the example of Hymenaeus and Philetus, having gone so far, but now shipwrecked, both in faith and conscience, that he thus wrote. Number three, this doctrine exalts and magnifies to us the grace of God towards us, is that which hath put so vast a difference between man and man, and things that are so like to true grace, and that make men come so near to the kingdom of God. Who caused you to differ, says the apostle, from another, and that other perhaps had a mighty work upon him which caused him to profess more than ever you had done. Judas had a work upon him as well as Peter, or the rest of the apostles. What put the difference? God's free grace. Thine they were, and you gave them me, and I have lost none but the son of perdition. Number four. As this doctrine is in these and many other respects useful to us, so God himself has many holy and glorious ends in ordering such a dispensation to be found amongst professors. One. It is for his greater honor and glory, as he is Lord over his church, which is his house, to have, as in great houses there used to be, vessels, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor, Second Timothy 2, verse 20. Number two, these dispensations of God short of regenerating grace lay up manner for a greater honor to the man Christ Jesus as he is to be the judge of all the world, and to give the exact account of every man's condition and ways and heart, and to judge of them accordingly. One would think that such a work of the Spirit has has so great a likeness in that with the reality joined with it in the hearts and spirits of men should make a great puzzle and blind at the latter day. How clearly to distinguish and discover to demand themselves and all the world that such professors as these were never truly regenerate, but this will turn to the greater glory of Christ. Hebrews 4 verse 12 Speaking of Christ, the Word, as the close of his speech, verse 13 shows, Before the eyes of him with whom we have to do, of him thus considered as the Word, he says, He the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in the sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He speaks us of him as he is to be the judge of all men. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him, to whom we must give the account. And as in the next verses, he represents him as a great high priest and all of his compassions and power to help in time of need. So in these twelfth and thirteenth verses, he sets him out as a judge with ability to detect all men to themselves. And he speaks thus in a way of admonition, especially such as were in danger to fall from a work of God upon them and to become apostates. This 
The verse before shows us, Last, he says, any man fall after the same example of unbelief, of whom the Israelites and the wilderness were types. And because the discovery of all men's states and conditions depend upon an exact dividing or differencing what is in the soul, what is in the spirit, and what are the joints, all men's actions turn upon, and what is the marrow and intimate meaning and mind of every man's soul and his actions and ways and thoughts, and since such a discovery consists in laying open every man's end and intents in his heart, and thoughts and principles, so therefore he compares the power of this judge to such things as are most quick and powerful, as among metals mercury or quicksilver is, when it is put to other metals by them that are refiners. And though metals are blended and mingled one with another, or withdraws never so much, Yet, this is so quick, and so active, as it will make every metal run a several way, and several one from the other, and show which is which. So the light that Christ shall then bring with him will do into all men's hearts, all the thoughts and intents and principles which are the foundations of men's actions, and which do difference them and give them their several kinds. These will all be clearly discovered. And though the creatures of our hearts, for so he compares our thoughts and intents and purposes and the like, are for their kind unknown to us, because so like sometimes to the true goodness, yet the apostle says they are all manifest in Christ's sight, and all lay naked and open unto the eye of him, and he, when he comes to take the account, will lay them all open to us, that let a man have never so fine spun a work upon him, never so deep a counterfeit of what is true grace. Delight that he will bring will make them all naked to men themselves, as truly they are to him. And it is certain that this manifestation and laying bare all men's hearts could be performed by none but him or his spirit when it comes powerfully upon men to discover their estates to them. But the greater difficulty of all lying in the similitude of these workings with those that are true and perfect. And hence, the greatest difficulty in judging must needs lie here. Therefore, in this, especially will Christ show his glory and skill, and will give every man his accounts perfectly, and set all right and straight to the last minute. God dispenses such lower workings, though short of regenerating grace, to make way for a fuller conviction of all sorts of wicked men at the latter day, and to justify himself and his condemnation of them. The great aim or design God drives at all along in this world upon the sons of men is to clear himself at that day, and to confound them who shall be condemned at which day he will have a great deal to do with the hearts of men, to convince them, as Enoch, the seventh from Adam in his prophecy, saying in Jude 14 and 15, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, 
The hardest speeches that men living under the gospel speak against him are touching his ways and dispensations about grace, and by this proceeding, he prepares both to confound the deepest practical opinions and sayings in men's hearts, and also the doctrinal opinions that men living under the gospel do take up hereabout. It's for the practical opinions in men's hearts, the greatest thing that God has to do with in all men's hearts is this opinion that they generally will not see nor believe that corrupt nature in themselves is so corrupt and disabled to the attainment of that grace which only necessarily must save them, but on the contrary think, if they have anything that has the appearance of good in them, that they can do and may do much to the salvation of themselves, especially if they shall be assisted and elevated by the Spirit of God, above what nature enables a man to do. God has, on the one hand, as much to do with men in this point, as he has, on the other hand, to do with men in the breaking forth of their lusts into grosser sins. Men will not believe their own utter inability, and their dependence wholly upon free grace, and their total need of regenerating grace, and therefore, by lesser experience, a failure of lower and inferior workings of his Holy Spirit upon them, God goes about to convince them of this, their corruption and utter disability, of the absolute necessity of their total dependence upon him, which yet they will not see, and therefore God justly leaves him here, and works no further, and by this lays a foundation of justifying his condemnation of them in their several proportions, and the rest of mankind, by the example of those that are wrought upon the highest. And so God provides for nothing more than the conviction of men at the latter day, concerning the falsehood of their opinion of themselves in this respect. The Jews in the former dispensation had a further addition both of knowledge and impressions that accompanied it. They had the knowledge of the law, and God did not deal so with any nation. And they had a seal of God according to this knowledge, and they thought themselves sure to obtain salvation if they set up with this new stock. I need not tell you, out of Romans 1, 6, how while they sought after righteousness with all this new raised stock, they did not attain to the law of righteousness, verse 31. In Paul's case, you know, Romans 7, that what was ordained as he thought to life, he found to be unto death. And the conclusion which the apostle makes in Romans 8 is this, that the law was weak through the flesh, verse 5. That is, all the assistance and energy which it could afford to a man's heart continuing still corrupt in flesh, remained ineffectual like medicine in a dead man's body. In the righteousness which it went about to establish, as the apostle says, they were not able to make it stand, though they attempted it again and again. No more than one is able to make a dead man stand, and to continue to do so. Romans 10, verse 3, so that we see that this addition also made to the Jews would not do, and yet, Corrupt nature, finding some assistance and strength to come in by this, they thought themselves sufficiently enabled for the attainment of salvation. But then thirdly, when Christ, in the light of the gospel, comes to be revealed to men, 
accompanied with divine enlightenings and tastes of the powers of the world to come, though still short of regenerating, men will presently be apt to say in their hearts, Who shall ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ again from the dead and to bring him into my heart. For still men think, and therefore say thus in their hearts that by that new strength they may attain it. I take this to be the meaning of the place, and God allows them all helps towards it, inward and outward, true regenerating grace and a new principle of faith only accepted. Still, he prosecutes the same design. The corrupt nature may see that when it attains to the eleventh step of the twelve, and that men, not far off, yet corrupt nature being corrupt nature still, though never so much assisted, fall short, and is weak, and utterly unable, and he thinks God works once and twice in a tendency to hide pride from man, as Elihu speaks, that man might be emptied of that opinion of himself, and adore and give himself up to the grace of him who has said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and therefore it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. Romans nine fifteen and 16. Paul, we see, there lays it upon that. God acts thus with men also, that they might see the absolute necessity of true regeneration, and of a divine nature. But this men would not be brought to see, and therefore God justly leaves them to go on in their way and to enjoy their fond opinion to their destruction, because they would needs against all these experiments hold up this principle in self-opinion, in defiance of God's grace, and would be saved upon such terms as would make grace to be no grace. For if this opinion of self-working, though never so much assisted, continues in the heart, the apostle tells us grace would be no more grace, and seeing that the glory of the grace of God would by this be soiled, if God should save men upon such workings as these, though never so strict or high, he therefore justly and with indignation leaves them to these their own counsels, and upon it is that God and they break off while they are in the midst of a treaty with him for salvation, for they will never come off to receive God and his grace upon its own terms nor set up God's banners of his free grace to them, and of sincere love to him, upon their turrets above self. And so by degrees the Lord withdraws his treaties from them, and they by degrees become revolters from him, and in the end return to some of their own rebellions, upon which God says, which covenant and treaty they break. And I regarded them not, Moreover, God, by his discovering such as these never to have had true grace under so high and eminent workings and actings, needs make but a short work, is to point of conviction of all the rest. For all those who have lower works than these, of what kind soever, are with these discovered to have had no grace, when these for a deficiency and lack of a wedding garment, or marriage affection to God in Christ 
are sent, speechless to hell, so that this design and dispensation of God is everywhere prepared for judging all men at the last day. God by this makes way to confound the corrupt doctrinal opinions that men have of grace, for this iniquity in practice has come to be established in all ages by a law, inasmuch as agreeably to men's deportment, according to their fond thoughts of corrupt natures, abilities, and point of grace, they have framed doctrines and drawn models of what they judge to be grace. It's Pelagian, semi-Pelagian, and Jesuitical doctrines have in their several proportions arisen from what men in their own experience have taken to be true workings of grace in their own souls, or else from the pride of carnal wisdom in which men of learning in part think to understand this. As Asaph says it in Psalm 73, even as they think to comprehend anything else that is within the compass of man's understanding, and so they think themselves as sufficiently furnished to judge of manners of grace, as of any other, yea, it would be thought of all things else to have skill in manners spiritual, whereas, on the other hand, there are and have been such who beside the doctrinal light they have had from the word in these points, have also had a deep and thorough experience of either sort of workings, both temporary and of those other of saving, regenerating grace on themselves, and who by comparing what the opinions of the Arminians are, and oppositely what are the orthodox doctrines, as they are stated in several columns and writings of either side, and then by comparing these with what has been written on their hearts, in those two several columns of workings, as I may so speak, have, and to clearly see and conclude, that the Arminian doctrine about converting, sufficient grace has been but a copy or model taken from the experience of a temporary work, yea, and but for the most part of the lower sort or that of the stony ground. And though many persons that hold the Arminian doctrines and the point of conversion may and shall be saved, because they hold fundamental truths otherwise, and God works beyond and besides what men's speculative opinions are oftentimes. Yet, it is no thanks to that doctrine of theirs in that particular point of conversion, for if only such a work be wrought in any of them, that is no deeper nor higher than their doctrine requires, they would not be saved. And the rule and measure these go by, in drawing such drafts and schemes, either of conversion or of sufficient grace enabling to it, I say the rule and measure which misleads them is that they set up free will and a grace attempered to that kind of liberty of man's will which they have set up for themselves to be essential to it, as it is will, as they think, and by no means will permit such a doctrine of grace as shall detract from that kind of liberty as they conceive, which liberty, they say, can no way be solved or stand with or be preserved in an infusion of new principles or an infallible effectual working and overcoming the will. But oh, how diversely does God make way to confute and confound all these and their opinions, wherein they deal most proudly, he goes beyond them, and is above them. Indeed, would there, could there, any course have been taken so effectually to stop their mouths? and so invincibly to convict them at the last day of this, he first in the world deals so with many of them, 
and with others of the sons of man is to answer them according to the idle and stumbling block of their opinions, and to that end tries to the utmost proportion in some or other, how far? Corrupt nature of itself, and left still to its any corruption will rise and go, and yet remain but corrupt nature, and self, at bottom still, he tries how far all in man may be so wrought upon, as has been said, and yet so allays and moderates his workings, as their hearts still fall short of the glory of God, or of his regenerating grace flowing from election which these men so despise, and in this free will and self, which they adore so much, continues, even as they desire with the same principles that by nature they have, and devoid of having an inward principle and root of grace, and this, according to their doctrine, is their desire also, so that indeed by these means, by making these experiments upon corrupt nature, God does but make way for the triumph of his grace over the proud conceits of self, which are in mankind, and which are most natural, and the most deeply rooted of any other. When he at the latter day brings forth his true saints and his workings upon them, and, as it is in the prophet says, these are my witnesses, and then lays open what he hid from no other, the wise and prudent, what real, true, and uncounterfeit workings and experiments of his grace there were in their hearts, suitable to the true doctrines of eternal love and invincible grace, when he displays what a new heart, and now a new spirit he gave them, and how he wrote the law in their hearts, and taught them all anew to know him with a new and spiritual light, and put his spirit in the midst of them, that he cause him to walk in his commandments, and put his fear into their hearts that they should not depart from him, and then shall produce what the word says, together with what has been in their hearts and souls, beyond what all the doctrine of the adversaries of his grace taught. And when it shall soon be discovered that the workings which these adversaries had, according to their doctrine, yet failed of the grace of God, as the apostle speaks, even for lack of that further power to be put forth by God, which they did not desire of him to bestow upon them, what a fatal decision, though a final one will this be, in which God will put an end to their controversy.